Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. All right, if you turn to 1 Thessalonians 4... 13. I've been thinking a lot about this passage uh, during this COVID crisis because it marries two things that are usually divorced. It marries grief and hope. And I want to take you there because I think this Easter that we are in right now is probably one of the most grief-laden Easter's that we've had together as a church, I know that some of us are experienced in uh, individual grief during Easter time, but I find it incredibly unique that all of us are experiencing a collective grief over this Easter. I mean, the very fact that we're meeting like we are right now is itself a grief. My littlest son, Lewis, he heard Josie and I talking about home group last Thursday. And of course, we were talking about our upcoming Zoom call, but he didn't know that. And so he ran to our front window and he looked out there anticipating and hoping to see these dear people that come into our homes once a week for the past uh, decade. And that was just another stab of grief for me. And it does us no good on this Easter morning to ignore that giant elephant in the room, our collective grief. So I want to ask the question this morning, how does Easter inform the way that we grieve? In this passage, Paul wants the church to be informed. He wants to equip believers. He wants to equip Easter people. He wants to equip resurrection believers. How to grieve. He wants to tell them how to grieve. And so what does he say? Well, I'll read the text and you can follow along this morning. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was in sixth grade, I broke my leg running. Not falling, running. Um, I had this amazing ability as a kid to ignore pain and to suppress discomfort. And I tried out for cross country in sixth grade. And a lot of people said I was pretty good for a sixth grader. And so I ran as hard as I could every single day at practice. The problem was I started to get horrible shin splints. But I discovered that I could ignore the pain, especially when I started running because of this amazing thing called endorphins. And so I would just keep running on the pain. And it worked. It worked for a few months because at the end of the season, I was running in a huge fall invitational and I crossed the finish line 
and I collapsed. And an hour later, x-rays showed a complete fracture in my shin. That was then, but even today, I'm still highly skilled in ignoring pain. Like my sixth grade self, I will ignore it until it breaks my body or breaks my soul. I just want to be honest, these past few weeks have been hard, especially this past week. I've been ignoring a lot of the pain and loss that some of you have been processing. Because after all, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have it together, right? In this past week, it felt like my leg, so to speak, finally broke. We might all feel this way this morning, especially on Easter. Easter is full of so much real hope. So what do we do with our real grief, our real loss and sense of loss? Do we ignore it? Hope the endorphins kick in? Do we put it aside for a while so it can rush in on Monday? In other words, does Easter require us to ignore our grief? Last Sunday, after a Palm Sunday live stream, I opened my phone to check the news and it read, and I'm quoting, the U.S. will reach its highest daily number of deaths on or around Sunday. This was last Sunday. And I wondered if they saw the irony that on the day of life, the day of Easter, would be a day of death for many. Does Easter require that we ignore that? I read science journalist Rita Ben McCurley's honest struggle. He's always struggled with OCD and he's very honest about it. And so life in this COVID crisis has been an immense agony for him. He writes, and I'm quoting, when I first found out about the novel coronavirus, I actually handled it pretty well, all things considered, he says. Then someone told me that one of the symptoms of COVID-19 is a rash. The funny thing is, I knew they were wrong. COVID-19 does not cause a rash. He says, still, I started experiencing constant tingling all over my body that refused to let go. Even as I write this, he says, I can still feel inklings of it. Does Easter demand that we ignore this very real pain and grief? We're listening to, the, uh, to Mother Chloe Cooney. She writes, I thought by the fourth week of social distancing, we would have all settled into the new norm. But for my family and others I've spoken to, that is not the case. Things are harder than they were at the beginning. Can I get an amen? She goes on, harder because we've all accrued anxiety, stress, and sadness over this period. My to-do list is longer and further untouched. My guilt and anxiety... For the ways that my son is not being engaged enough is greater. His apparent sadness for his whole world shifting is intensified as he regularly acts out and our collective exhaustion grows deeper. I want to ask this question. Does Easter require that we ignore this very real grief? Scott Baranato in the Harvard Business Review, he says, that discomfort you're feeling, it's grief. He interviews grief expert David Kessler, who says, the loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toil, the loss of connection, this is 
hitting us and we're grieving collectively. And listen to these words. He says, we're not used to this collective grief hanging in the air. Does Easter require us to ignore this grief? I want to be very clear, no, it does not. Easter does not demand that we ignore grief. Easter invites us to grieve. Easter invites us to grieve, but with a difference. Easter transforms our grief. It doesn't erase it. The resurrection teaches us to grieve differently with unflinching honesty. It teaches us to grieve with surprising hope and with impossible joy. First, the resurrection invites us to grieve with unflinching honesty. Without the resurrection of Jesus, friends, uh, we wouldn't dare face the brokenness of our world, would we? And we wouldn't dare face the brokenness of our own pain and our own grief. It would be too upsetting. It would spiral us into despair. But because we know that death does not have the final word, resurrection invites us into unflinching honesty. I mean, one of my favorite examples of this is Jesus himself. In John 11, Jesus gets word that one of his best friends, Lazarus, is dying. And he, ima- he immediately tells his disciples in verse 11, he says, my friend and our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, by which he meant death. And he says, I am going there to wake him up. And then when Jesus arrives, Lazarus is already dead. And his sister, Lazarus's sister, Martha, runs out to meet Jesus. And she says to him in her grief and probably even her anger, she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again, to which Martha responds, I know, I know about the resurrection in the end. I get it, I get it, but right now he's dead. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And what I want you to notice is that Jesus is confident in the resurrection. Notice his confidence. After all, he is himself the resurrection, and he knows Lazarus is going to rise in mere minutes. But more than that, he knows that he's, he is ultimately the answer to all that is sad and broken in the world. But when Jesus sees Mary weeping, his gut is wrenched. And is wrenched with grief. In verse 35, he sees Mary weeping and Jesus weeps. He weeps. He doesn't just shed a tear. He doesn't just experience some emotion. He wails. The risen Lord, the King of all, he wailed. Do you see the resurrection and the life himself weeps at death? This means that the resurrection invites us to unflinching honesty about what grieves us. This is why Paul tells us, and he tells the grieving Christians in Thessalonica, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. Again, meaning those who have, who have died. He goes, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so. And what he wants them to do is to not grieve as those without hope. But notice what Paul doesn't say in this passage. He doesn't say, stop grieving, you fools. Jesus is risen. No, no. I I have been to funerals, actually, where that is the basic message, rebuking grief in the name of Jesus. But at a Christian funeral, hope of resurrection should invite our tears. We can face the pain of it 
without it swallowing us alive. Paul knew loss. He knew grief. He did not believe that Easter removed his grief. He believed it transformed his grief. Yale professor Nicholas Wolterstorff, he tragically lost his adult son in a rock climbing accident. Wolterstorff is a Christian. He's an Easter man. And so does Easter require that he reject his grief? No. He says, and I'm quoting, I think we ought to own our grief. He says, if Eric was worth loving when he was alive, then he's worth grieving over when dead. Why would he not be? If I hadn't loved him, there wouldn't be this agony. And then he quotes Jesus, This is the command of the Holy One. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on, In commanding us to love, God invites us to suffer. You see, the resurrection invites us to own our grief with honesty. Not in spite of the resurrection, but because of the resurrection. The resurrection means that death and loss do not have the final word. And that means that we can face our losses with unflinching honesty because we know it doesn't win. We know it doesn't win. And so that means they won't swallow us up. We can be honest about our losses. Easter transforms our grief into unflinching honesty, but it also transforms our grief into surprising hope. What did Pastor Paul say? He says in verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's what's true. And the fruit of this conviction is in verse 13, the one before it. We grieve with hope. The resurrection grants us, in other words, a surprising hope in the midst of deep, deep grief. Now, I want to be clear. How we typically use uh, the word hope and how the Bible uses the word hope are two different things. We think hope is merely wishful thinking. Like, we'll say, I hope the coronavirus goes away soon. That's wishful thinking. But the Bible describes hope as a future certainty. And we can search our lives for future certainties, a future vacation, a future marriage, a future job. But if this virus has taught us anything, it's that nothing in this life is certain. In Long Island, where the virus has hit our nation the hardest, there's a network of hospitals called Mount Sinai Hospital. And every time a patient with COVID-19 leaves the hospital, I've learned that they play the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun. And so thousands of people have been discharged. And so this song has been on repeat in this hospital system. And it's become for them a, a song of hope. I mean, which is beautiful. And it speaks to the thirst that we have uh, for hope, a new sunrise. But honesty requires us to admit that even this hope is up for grabs. I mean, even when public health returns, we have to admit that this sunrise is temporary in the face of death. And so we're searching for a certain future. The only future certainty that we have, the only future certainty is the future resurrection. As surely as Jesus rose from the dead, so will all who trust him. 
And as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, so will all of his creation be renewed. This means that even as we grieve loss, real loss, we have a future certainty. Our losses, they're temporary in the fullest sense. When Jesus returns, all that is sad and all that is broken will be made right and will be made untrue. See, Easter transforms our grief. It moves us towards unflinching honesty. It gives us surprising hope. And I want to say thirdly, that the resurrection gives us impossible joy. William Barclay wrote, Jesus promised his disciple three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Absurd happiness. That's how Easter transforms our grief. It's absurd that we would have any joy at all in the midst of this. But Peter speaks of this absurd happiness in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen along. He says, According to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. In what you rejoice? In the resurrection hope you rejoice. And he goes on, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. See, God doesn't say that We will rejoice in our trials and in our grief. We won't rejoice in our losses, but we can rejoice in the future resurrection in the midst of our losses. And that gives us an absurd happiness, a surprising, even an impossible joy. This impossible joy is, humanly speaking, uh, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. But with resurrection, it does, and it's ours because of the resurrection. I recently read a story about how Johnny Erickson Tata, um, she talks about how her joy is like a burning bush. She was paralyzed in a diving accident in college, and so her life is one of grief and of profound loss. And yet, it's also one of deep joy. Again, these two things don't belong together. But like a burning bush, fire in a bush not being consumed, it becomes a spectacle. She calls it a spectacle of glory. When people see her grief and her joy, two things that don't mix, it's a spectacle of glory. And this is the Christian's calling card. We can have an impossible joy in the midst of our unflinching honesty about our grief and our loss. Resurrection hope means that our tears of grief And our tears of joy will most likely always be intermingled. When my middle son was born three months early with an Apgar of one, um, I witnessed my wife cry tears of joy and cry tears of grief when meeting him for the first time. I've been to to many funerals where it is hard to tell where the tears of grief and the tears of joy begin and end. Todd Billings, who has terminal cancer, he's a theologian. He says the Christian life is not a joyless path. 
but one with tears of joy and celebration, as well as tears of lament. Easter means we can have tears of joy. Easter actually is the key that unlocks the floodgate of tears. But the tears flow in two directions. The unflinching honesty about our loss and the impossible joy about our hope. That's what Easter gives us today. The resurrection of Jesus does not, friends, erase grief. It transforms grief. In this season of grief, I want to allow the risen Lord to transform our grief into one of honesty and hope and joy. The world is watching us, Hope. Our neighbors are looking on. How do resurrection people, especially on this day, wrestle with the crisis that we're in? Let us not show them a naive group of people with their heads in the sand who are really good at suppressing their pain. Instead, let's demonstrate to them the reality of the risen Lord and the resurrection, even as we grieve, especially as we grieve. This is our only hope. Paul says, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then we're the biggest fools in history and we're wasting our lives. The resurrection is an all or nothing proposition. Either he rose or he didn't. If he didn't, none of this matters. If he did, and oh, I believe he did. If he did, then it changes everything, especially how we live today, especially how we handle this grief. We can grieve with brutal honesty. Yeah, but we can grieve with hope and we can grieve with impossible joy. That's the gift of the resurrection for his people right now. Lord, we pray that this would infiltrate our hearts in a new way this morning. Maybe we've never even considered the resurrection of Jesus. We thought it was an add-on or maybe some superstition that Christians believe, but for the first time we're seeing, oh my gosh, this actually happened in history. And this actually transformed a band of cynical and broken and shame-filled believers. It transformed them from the inside out and they gave their lives for it. And, 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 oh, maybe this happened. And maybe this is the hope that I'm looking for. And Lord, if that, if that person's out there and they're watching right now, would you give them the gift of faith and would they experience not only the forgiveness of sins, but the hope of the resurrection? Would their grief be transformed, not cast aside? And the same for all of us who've trusted you but who are struggling this morning. Transform our grief. Transform our struggle. And it's in Jesus' risen name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.